Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, oftentimes when we read certain portions of Scripture, we begin to look at things that stand out to us, and we lose sight of what the real meaning of the book is. For instance, what do you think of, what first comes to mind when you think of the little book of Jonah? If you'd ask any of the Sunday school kids they would probably respond immediately about the great fish. And they would probably say, the whale. But the whale swallowed Jonah. It's probably what they would say. So, thinking about David and Goliath, what do you think about first off when you think about David and Goliath? You you might think of little David the shepherd boy as the one who slew Goliath. And it was all about this contest out in the valley. Valley of Elam, and and it was David who slew him. And then you eclipse the main understanding of what the text is teaching. You see, the book of Jonah is not just simply about God sending a great fish. He does do that. It's not just that God has power over the natural realm. We see that in God preparing a great fish and God sending the storm but we're missing something if that's all we're thinking about. You see, oftentimes our minds are captivated in that way. So you see the bread and the wine here this morning, and it's not going any further than the elements. But the elements are pointing to something beyond themselves, as everything does. Everything has a purpose of pointing beyond itself. We point beyond ourselves to the glory of God. We are created as His image bearers. We are to reflect His glory. That all of creation should be able to look at us and know what God is like. That is how God created us as His image bearers. We point beyond ourselves. Everything in the created order has a big arrow that points to the glory of God. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To God be the glory. So looking beyond the bread and the wine, we recognize the broken body and the shed blood of the Savior for our redemption. You see, it's beyond the bread and the wine and the natural elements. So it is with the things that we see here with the prophet Jonah. We are missing the grace of God. We are missing the compassion of God, the mercy of God. We are missing the supernatural power of God over all things. We are missing the providence of God. You see, it's no longer just about Jonah as one of the characters. It is about God who is in control of all things. This is what we miss when we focus in just simply on the temporal things and the extraordinary things that we see that are in the text. We miss the wonder working of God in saving a multitude. This is the people that Jonah was called to deal with. The people of Nineveh. What kind of a people were they? Nahum speaks about them in Nahum 3. Listen to what he says. First four verses, Nahum 3. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip 
the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a number of great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. That was what was going on in Nineveh. God did bring disaster upon Nineveh, not at this time with Jonah, but he did with Nahum. We find that God brought judgment to Nineveh. At this point, God is sending the messenger and he's calling them to repent and to turn to the Lord. And in this, beloved, you see the grace of God. It is the grace of God that we're called to repentance. It is the grace of God through the working of the Holy Spirit that brings the gospel to any nation. That is the wonder and the compassion of God. You know, we are like with the Good Samaritan. We are like the man who was overtaken by thieves. We are like that man who is laying there for dead, who stripped naked, left for dead, bleeding, going to die out, going to bleed out. That's who we were. We deserve that. And it's the compassion of God that a Samaritan comes along. Because it certainly wasn't from the religious people of the day from the priest and the Levite, they passed on the other side. They had no love of God in their heart. It was this Gentile, the Samaritan, the one that was despised by the religious Jews of the day, that he has the compassion to attend to this man and to give to this man the aid that is needed and even the finances to be able to provide for him to stay at an inn. To put on the wine and the oil, the antiseptic and the soothing materials to provide for the body. That is the compassion God sends him. So it is with the gospel of Christ that it comes to us, to you, to me. That is the compassion of God. We don't deserve it. We deserve damnation. We deserve to be cast out. You who think that you've accomplished, you've achieved, you've entered into the kingdom because of you've done this or you've done that. You've done nothing. You have compounded your sin with that pharisaical thought. You deserve damnation. I deserve damnation. We deserve to be cast into the pit, into the fiery furnace forever. And it's only the compassion of God by which we are rescued. We are brought out from underneath the wrath of God. We are reconciled to a holy God. And it's only because of the purpose and good pleasure of God. Not because of something in us. Because of Him. This is what we find again in the book of Jonah. The wondrous compassion of God to save people who are utterly unworthy and undeserving. You and I, just like the Ninevites unworthy of the least of God's benefits, of the least of God's truth. Did you ever think about that? We are deserving to be held captive by Satan and sin. We are deserving of the lies. This is what we live in, right? This is the culture that we live in. It's a ship of fools. It's a ship of lies. Lies on the right hand, lies on the left, lies everywhere. 
Every time you talk to somebody, there's lies. And we as Christians, we lie. Sometimes you do it deliberately, and other times it is not a deliberate act in this way. In this way, you lie, and you do so because you are not rightly representing God to all of creation. And in that, you lie to all of creation about the nature, the character of God. We deserve lies, and yet God gives us truth. God calls us out of the morass of lies, and He calls us into truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We are a people of truth. We are redeemed by the truth. Our God is a God of truth. God speaks truth. He is truth. We deserve the lies, and in God's compassion, He gives us truth. You're not saved, beloved, by believing a lie. You're saved by believing the truth. Adam and Eve fell by believing a lie. We are redeemed and rescued by believing the truth. And so, Jonah. Jonah is called by the Lord as his prophet to go to Nineveh. This bloodthirsty city. A city where there is trampling that is going on of people so that the bodies are being stacked up. So you can't even go out on the streets and and not walk without tripping over dead bodies. Harlotry, harlots on every corner. It is given over to seduction and to lies. The whole city is given over to bloodshed and harlotry. And Jonah is called to go there. Jonah does not want to go there. These Assyrians, capital city, Nineveh, were near Jonah's homeland. And certainly Jonah had been under attack numerous times by the Assyrians from that area of this country. And he hated them. He disdained them. And this is the struggle, isn't it? Here's a believing man who is struggling with what God called him to do. And do you and I struggle? We certainly do. You know, it's amazing to me how often we want to abstract ourselves from this and say, no, no, not me. I would never do that. We do it every day. We do it all the time. And we think, we're, we're not like Jonah. Yeah, well, when's the last time you went to your neighbor? When's the last time you went to the, the undesirables in your mind on your block and talked to them about the things of Christ? You know, the people that you think are troublemakers within the city or within your neighborhood. And you lament that they're troublemakers and they're problem causers. And all they do is make disturbances. And you know what? I wish God would bring judgment against them. But you don't go to them. You don't take pity upon them. Because they know not Christ. And in that, beloved, we're just like Jonah, aren't we? God calls us as the church, as individual believers, to go out into all the world. And to bring the gospel to the nations. And disciple the nations. And you know what? We don't want to do it. Should we give money to missions? Yes, we should. But we grumble and complain. Well, we grumble and complain we've got to give money. Let alone missions. What do I have to do with people over there in Nepal? That's not my responsibility. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. We as a church have a responsibility to take the gospel to the nations to care for others. We are to do good to all men. 
especially the household of faith, but all men, all kinds, all types of men. You know, when the coronavirus hit, I, I heard a lot of talk about the Chinese. And that's wrong. Now, I understand it. But you can't lump everybody into the same bushel basket. One did it, and now they're all guilty. Boy, that just sounds just like the world. Knee-jerk reaction. Somebody told me they were... Well, I heard this. I, I think I heard it from uh, the, uh, Matt Rule. He said something about uh, spending more money, I don't know how many millions, to upgrade Memorial Stadium. To put backrests on seats and, you know, we're going to eliminate 20,000 seats and, but hey, it's going to be comfortable. And then you have Michigan Stadium where they, they eliminated a number of seats to put two tunnels because originally it was built with just one tunnel. And because one fight in a hundred and some years of Michigan football takes place, the knee-jerk reaction, okay, we've got we to have two tunnels now. Spend millions of dollars because one isolated incident. That's how we are. We're knee-jerkers. You have one little thing and now you, all this has to be renewed, right? You've got one little case and now you've got to go through the, the, the things when you go to the airport. One event, and now all this, because that's how we are. We're knee-jerkers. And so we take, okay, the China virus, the Chinese, it's the Chinese. And now I've got to hate them all. That's sin. And when you hate people, you won't certainly go to them with the gospel. And we are certainly called to take the gospel to the nations. You know, we need a mind renewal. We need a change of mind. We are acting like the pagans when we behave that way. When you classify people as different races of men, you are acting like a pagan. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches one race, the human race. Many tribes, tongues, and nations in this world. But there is one race, the human race. You know why we like to divide them up? We like to say, well, that's the Asian race, the Hispanic race, the African American race, the Indian race, because we're different than they are. They're stupid. Look at them. That's how we think. And because somebody doesn't speak the language that you speak doesn't mean they're stupid. Maybe you're stupid for not knowing their language. We have a tendency to think that. Because we call it gibberish. We don't understand it, and so these people must be ignorant. You know who's leading the world in the um, producing things and electronics? And it's, it's not the United States. It's China. Who's taking over in all of that industry? It's China. You don't do that with morons. You do that with intelligent people. He was leading within mathematics within the world. It's not United States. It's Japan. 
They know how to do figures. We don't. As a matter of fact, you know what we do? We want our kids more stupid. Let's dumb it all down. That's the whole mentality about the American education. Make them dumber. You can control them then. You see, if they start thinking for themselves, oh, we're going to have a problem. So we don't educate them. What's going on in schools? That's not education. When you educate somebody, you bring someone up to, into maturity. That's the essence of education. Educate. Bring them up into understanding. We're dumbing it down. And so we have an idea and a tendency to not want to go to those people who are not like us. Maybe they've wronged us. So here's Jonah. He flees. He goes down to Joppa and he found a ship. The Lord said, go to Nineveh. Jonah went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And he paid for it himself. But he went. Notice this. He paid the fare. He went down into it. Now, notice, those who preach the gospel live from the gospel. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Timothy 5. We also, 1 Corinthians 9. Those who preach the gospel live by the gospel. In other words, the gospel, the, the living is provided for through the preaching of the gospel. Congregations provide for the pastor's needs, his essentials, through the gospel ministry as he preaches. So it is, Jonah, he, he goes his own way and he pays his own fare. He goes down into the ship from the presence of the Lord. Now he knows, he certainly knows that God is omnipresent. Uh, don't, don't mark Jonah as a moron. Don't act like he doesn't understand this. This is a case, beloved, of irrationality. The irrationality of the prophet of God who certainly had read Psalm 139 of knowing there's no place that he could go from the Spirit of God. But you see, that's what sin does. Mark it and think about it. Rewind the tape in your life for the sins that you've committed in your life. You acted irrational in your sin. That's what sin does. Sin makes us irrational. When Eve began to weigh out whether or not Satan's hypothesis was true as compared to the Lord's, she began to become irrational and she reached out and took the fruit which the Lord said, you shall not eat of it. The irrationality of sin. David sinned with Bathsheba. When he began sinning in his heart, he acted irrationally. That's what sin does. It's a high price. So Jonah demonstrates that he's acting as an irrational prophet and he runs from the Lord. God is everywhere present. You cannot flee and escape the presence of the Lord. God is the one who encompasses all of creation. He is imminent and he is transcendent. He is beyond the created order of what we know and understand, beyond the universe. Everything in the universe is finite. It had a beginning. It's created. God is uncreated. He has no beginning. There is no bounds. You cannot measure God. That's why people say, our God is big. I don't like to use those words. Big has a comparison. God does have no comparison. Who will you liken me unto, saith the Lord? There is no one that he can be compared to. You can't say our God is big. God is immense. He goes beyond what we can ever think and whatever we can conceive. 
God is beyond that. So this is the God that we worship. He is ever present here with us. He's walking among us, beloved. Here's a sober thought. God is among us right now. It is Christ, Revelation 1, who promises that he walks among the candlesticks. He's here. He's here spiritually ministering to us by his word and his Holy Spirit. God is among us. Have you thought about that? What is the reverence level that you should have in knowing and understanding that God is among us? God is in the camp, as it were. He dwells among his people. So it's been to Jonah up to this point, and then verse 4, notice the transition, but the Lord. Jonah fleed, but now the Lord does something. Now, I want you to understand that oftentimes the Lord will let you run. It is like deep sea fishing. Someone hooks a fish and lets that line run. And they run frantically, as it were, just swimming all over the place, up and down, and trying to escape. And they're hooked. And you wear yourself out running, don't you? And, and that's it. And the Lord pulls you back. And this is the Lord. God sent out a great wind. Now, when it speaks here in the Hebrew, the great wind, it's an extraordinary wind. Uh, gadal is the Hebrew word. It is, it is not ordinary. And you'll notice that these are sailors, mariners. These are experienced fishermen. They know what it means to be out on the sea. And they're terrified. God sent out the great wind. Who is controlling? Who is operating here? Who is the one who is in charge even of the natural realm? God is. God sends the wind on the sea. The wind begins to stir it up. And for all intents and purposes, this is a hurricane. This is the likes of a storm that the sailors had never seen before and they are terrified. They actually scream. They, they are frightened to such a degree that they scream out. You see, they had seen storms before. And they knew how to respond to certain storms. This is not an ordinary storm. This isn't something that we've ever seen ever in our lives. It's God, the Lord sends this great wind. And the sending of the great wind, interesting, it's the word hurled. You know what a javelin is? This is the Lord thrusting a javelin at the ship. God is sending and He's sending it with fierce power. The Lord is taking the natural realm and He's firing it right at that ship. And the sailors note it. There's this mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Uh, the term there, broken up, it actually means burst. The ship was about ready to explode. Now you think about this, being on a ship, and it begins to creak. It begins making all kinds of noises that you have never heard. That means there is a lot of pressure that's coming against this ship. The sailors are recognizing this. And they are terrified. The mariners were afraid. They were extremely afraid. I mean, to say the word afraid doesn't really capture the Hebrew. They were terrified. You ever been terrified? You ever been scared? We, we say, scared out of your wits? 
Have you ever been frightened so much that you felt this rush of adrenaline just like it went through the roof and you couldn't calm down? You started shaking and sweating? Here's what they got here with these mariners, which means the sailors. The sailors were terrified. Has anybody ever scared you that you've been that terrified? Have you seen anything in your life that terrified you this way? I remember the first earthquake that I went through. And I was in a building at the time. And there are different types of earthquakes. This was a jolting earthquake. It, it wasn't a rolling. You know, when you see those big buildings out there in Los Angeles, they're built on rollers. And they're built on rollers so they sway. They don't crumble when earthquakes come. This was a violent earthquake. And it shook. And there were things that were in the building that were slamming against the wall. You know what? I, I was frightened. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And, I, you know, I don't know to the degree how, you know, measuring terrified. I mean, that was one of the most frightful times of my life that I remember. There's been others. But that was certainly a frightful time. I get it. Adrenaline was rushing. And what do we do? Uh, here's the muscle memory of the soldiers. They knew, or the, the uh, sailors, they knew certain things, right? Uh, this is what they do. They, they need to cry out. They did what they could. They throw things overboard, lighten the load. They knew to do certain things. But there was nothing else that could be done. The ship was certainly going to burst. So the mariners being afraid, every man cried out to his God. Now, you understand something here. In these days... There was much polytheism that went on, pantheism. There was much worship of different kinds of deities. So you had the God of the sea. You had the God of the storm. You had the God of the wind. You had the God of the lightning, the God of the thunder. That's what you had. Thor was the God of thunder. So you have these different gods that people used to worship. But notice something in this that the pagans know. There is something beyond the natural realm in control. There is someone, something, they know God exists. And what did they do? They suppressed the truth and they worshiped the creation. So it's basically worshiping a God of their own making, but yet they know there is one that controls the wind, the storm, the moon, the sun, the stars, all the goings on in a natural realm. So they're crying out. They cried out and they threw the cargo um, that was in the ship into the sea. They needed to lighten the load. Clearly, they had so much that was in the ship that it was pulling the ship down. And because it was with the great tempest, water was saturating the ship. And so they were having the drain that was coming through the inside and the outside. You see, the water was filling and it was about to burst the ship. So they did what they could. But notice they were crying out to their God. Every man to his God. What God do you worship? The God of thunder. Cry out to him. You, the God of lightning. Cry out to him. Maybe we can get something here going. Someone can keep us from drowning here at sea. So it was that they lightened the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Notice Jonah. He is, he is absolutely, has no cognizance of what is going on around him. 
Do you know anybody like that? You've been on a plane where there's turbulence, and I mean, really rocking you. You look at the next day, and guy's head is bobbing back and forth. Just that was Jonah. There he is. The ship is about to capsize and to burst, and he's sawing logs down there. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't care. Do you know how indifferent you get when you don't care? I know. I know what it means to go through a bout of depression and don't care. I know what it means right here. I, I, I can identify with Jonah. He's in the bottom of the boat and the captains, we're about to burst here. I don't care. I hope so. I hope it's the end right here. Because that's what he wants. So the captain came to him and said to him, and, and I don't think he said this in a polite way. Jonah's a stranger. They don't know who this guy is. Wake up. What are you doing? How is it that you can sleep and we're going through such turbulent and we're so frightened and you're down here cutting logs? How can that be? Do you not have care? Notice this, this pagan is rebuking the prophet who at this point is indifferent about the goings on all around him. He doesn't care if all the men on the ship die. He doesn't care if they drown in the sea. He absolutely doesn't care. Notice something about sin. Sin is never in a vacuum. You always take others with you. Did you notice when David, when he sinned against the Lord by numbering the armies of Israel, 70,000 people in Israel died? Do you know when Achan, when he sinned against the Lord and stole the articles, the ungodly things, the ungodly worship things, and he stole them and put them into his tent? Do you know that Israel was defeated by Ai? And that A then Achan's whole family was burned to death for those idols that he worshipped. You see, it's never just you. It's always us. Sin always affects us. Whatever you do when you sin, it affects you and me and the rest of us because we are a body and it affects other people. Here it is, Jonah. His sin is affecting these men. I mean, I'm not calling them innocent as if they were innocent of sinning against God, but they hadn't run from God like Jonah did, who knew God, who was a prophet of God, a worshiper of God. It wasn't this sin that they had committed. But Jonah didn't care if this man were drowned in the sea as long as he was getting what he wanted. To kill me, Lord. Kill me. That's what he's saying. Throw me into the sea. This is the suicide of the prophet. Kill me. Throw me in. And the Lord is having none of this. We often are, are like that with our sin. We, we don't care how it affects other people. We're so self-centered. Aren't you sick of that? Don't you get sick of it always being about you? I do. I get sick of it being about me. And what I mean by that is just the thought and the desire that things would be about me and you. That is the way of the world. Recognition. I want to be noticed. I want people to talk about me. I want to be remembered. I want a monument after my name. I want 150 years to go by and people to know who I am to be about me. Don't, don't you get tired of that? 
Beloved, that, that stems from the sin and the selfishness that is in our lives. We're often like that. Boy, I get tired of that. Now you combat selfishness, give. And I'm not talking just simply as you give as we gather together on the Lord's Day. Give of your things to others. Go through your closet, find clothes that you haven't worn in a year, and give them to somebody else. Things that you don't use that I'm storing. What you're doing is you're hoarding. You don't use it. Give it to somebody else to use. We all have things that we don't use, myself included. And how you combat selfishness is with a giving spirit. Being thankful to the Lord in this way. The captain says to Jonah, arise and call on your God. See, they knew, as Jonah says, it says later that he was a Hebrew and that he worshipped the God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. And so they're calling Jonah then to get up and call upon this God that you worship. And maybe, maybe he will stop the storm so that we won't perish because of you. Now I want to bring this close to home. You've heard me say this before. A lot of the problems that we have in this world is the church's fault. A lot of problems that go on with the church of Jesus Christ is that which we incur upon ourselves in the world in which we live. For instance, do you want to live peaceably? Well, yeah, we want a peaceable life. Do you want to have a life that you can freely worship the Lord? Yeah, I want that. Isn't that good? Isn't that things that we ought to desire? Yeah, well then, we are to be a people that prays for our leaders, our rulers. And this is what the Lord says, that we might lead a peaceable life in all gravity, in all truth, for the glory of God. And yet how often in our personal, private prayers do we pray for the president? Well, I don't like him, so I'm not going to pray for him. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're sinning. And I'm going to tell you something. Repent. The Lord doesn't say, pray for the ones that you like. He says, pray for those who rule. That we might lead a peaceable and a quiet life. Lest we have turmoil for our, dis- our, our rebellion and our disobedience to the Lord. I think lots of problems that are in this world today are that which are incurred because of the church itself. We are rebellious. We are disobedient. We say, I know what God says, but I'm going to do this. And the Lord brings discipline upon His church. Do you think the coronavirus was just about the fallen, sin-cursed world? We don't think that it's the Lord dealing out discipline to His people. God disciplines His people and the world gets caught up in it. The unbelieving world because the Lord is dealing with His people. And I told you, I gave you incidents of that, that happened. That this person didn't sin what we did as the church, and they got caught up in it. Just like these sailors, they're caught up in a storm for which was provoked by Jonah. We don't like to take the blame. A hard thing to do is take the blame. hard thing to do is to question yourself. 
when I get a call from another congregation, first thing I have to ask is, is it time for me to leave? Is it time for me to move on? And I'll ask the consistory. But when things in the church, in my, when I view it, when it seems to be going backwards and not forwards, people aren't attended to Bible studies, people aren't in prayer meetings, people just aren't involved in the life of the church. That's a hard thing to do. But this is where I start. I start with me. Maybe it's me. And I tell the consistory, maybe I need to move on. Maybe somebody fresh needs to come in. Maybe somebody new needs to come in. That's hard. It's hard to do that. But I think it's necessary. I think that examination is necessary. Because it certainly may be me. And it may be you. It may be you more concerned about the things of the world than you are of the things of the church. Because I tell you, if we put half the energy into the things of the church that we do to the things of the world, wow, we would turn this community upside down. If we were as dedicated to the things of the world as we are, uh, you know, things of the church as we are the things of the world. I mean, how much money would we not give to the things of Christ? And so we become indifferent and the Lord sends a scourge. And what do men do, especially the Christians? Uh, They begin turning their hearts back towards God. That's where you find revivals. People start turning back to the Lord. And then, just like COVID, just like I've seen historically, this is what happens. Time goes by, status quo, right back into the same old dull routine. If I go to church, it's fine. If I worship, that's fine. If I'm not, then no big deal. God understands. As a matter of fact, I've got other things to do. I'm so busy, I can't be there and worship on the Lord's Day. That's how we behave, beloved. Tell me it ain't so. When we first came back after COVID, we were jam-packed. If not every member, near unto every member of this congregation came for a number of weeks. And it was exciting. It was a blessing. Give it time. Waxing and waning. Right back. Oh, there it is. There's my comfort zone. I knew it was there because I really put down some real good ruts in the road right there. And I knew it. And it feels good not to be on that high road. That's what we're called to. And if we keep going down to back to the status quo, guess what the Lord does? The Lord chastens those whom He loves. So don't be surprised when something else comes into this world as a discipline to the people of God. Do not be like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Lord will bring us to that repentance. Guaranteed, beloved. Look at the nation Israel. Look at the people of God in the Old Covenant. It's exactly what happened to them. Why were they out in the wilderness for 40 years? So man would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We, we become so indifferent. We become lethargic. We marginalize the things that are important. And we run after the things that are unimportant. They're perishable crowns. And we're running with all of our gusto and might. And we should be running for the imperishable crown that does not fade away. It does not perish. A reward that is preserved for us in the heavenly places in Christ. 
That first and foremost, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The other things will be given unto us. Seek first the things of God. Otherwise, the Lord will continue. He will discipline His people to repentance. And this is what you find here. That these people, these men, are caught up in this storm because of Jonah, who's representing the church, the people of God, because of his sin. God is gracious when he comes to Jonah. He comes and he comes, not to crush him, but to restore him. The church is not called to crush. Even excommunication for the glory of God and the restoration of the offender. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. The church's mission is mercy. Mercy. That's what you see as the Lord brings mercy, not only to Jonah, but to those who did not know him in salvation. And this is the mission of the church. Take it to the streets. Amen. Shall we pray?